0: The optimal life. Wanted some excitement for the evening, I don't know. <laughs>
1: 2021. What's that meme that's going around It's the first seven days of? That or it's it? December 38th, <laughs> I think ah, is one. I love it. <laughs> December 38th. Of 2020. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that one. Uh, yeah. That's great. That's another one. So true. What a crazy, wild, insane year.
0: Yeah. 2020 was nuts. What's
1: your take on, what's your take on all the craziness? And, and, and it's such a Wide open, wide net question, but what what was your take about everything?
0: I uh, it is. that's a that's a loaded question. I think overall, um, we found out, you know some some injustices are happening in the world. We found out corruption. We found out things about us probably that we didn't want to know or suppressed because we were so busy with life. And then when you're locked up and you can't go anywhere, you have no choice but to think about it. So I think it was a little bit of everything. It was definitely a year of um, a lot of minuses. But I think really, if you look at all the minuses, there has to be just as many pluses. If you really dig deep, you know, with a minus, you learn something, right, in life. And I feel like that is what 2020 did. So even if everybody had, I lost my job, I lost somebody because of COVID, I lost this, I lost that. There's always a a lesson to it. Mm -hmm. So I think with all the negative If you're really reflecting, you've got to find something positive in it as well.
1: Yeah. And even for you, like with the work, and work was starting to hum for you. And then all of a sudden it's like slows down.
0: Yeah. It comes to a
1: screeching halt for the first, for a few months. Yeah.
0: Quarter one of 2020, uh, work was really picking up. And then all of a sudden, I I should backtrack. For those listening, (laughs) I'm in medical sales. So I work in total joints. I work with traumatologists and I also work with plastic surgeons, mostly orthopedics, a little bit of everything. (laughs) But uh, elective surgeries obviously were halted and nobody knew what was going on. Half of my company is 1099, half of us are W 2. So, you know, we were just kind of waiting, you know, just like the rest of the world, what's going on, what's going to happen. When is this up? When are we going to have answers? What have
1: you seen from the medical community? You're, you're in it every week. What's the sentiment when you go into the hospitals, doctor's office, etc.?
0: I feel like it's a mix, just like the world, right? Uh, obviously, being in the medical field, we're sensitive. We see the numbers. We see the patients. We know it's real. We know it when it goes up, when it goes down. Um, but obviously, doctors, you know, some of them are more sensitive than others. Today I had one... That was very concerned. He he is, can't wait for his second shot, um, the second round of the series. And then I have others that are, you know, be careful. But what can you do? Um, you know, in the medical field, there's always something new. There's always something happening. So I feel like it's pretty divided. I mean, it's definitely recognized. Some are more scared than others.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you had the craziness of uh, of this whole election. Time, which we won't get political, but yeah, I mean, election was the, the, over the it. divide. <laughs> you, you took a, you even took a break uh, several months ago from Facebook, from social media.
0: Yeah, really, just in general, I was just getting overwhelmed at people arguing with family and friends, and even though you have differences of opinions, I, you know, I, I have different, different opinions than some of my closest family, and I'm still willing to hear what they have to say. But I feel like some people just can't hear the other side of it. They that's always the have problem. to defend. And yeah. I, I think that part of being a mature person is being able to hear someone else's side and recognize it. Even if you don't agree with it, you still have to be like, okay, I could see where you're coming from. At least that's my opinion, yeah, and my take totally. on it. And I was just getting overwhelmed. And it was uh, as bad as 2020 was. I didn't think that all the negativity was helping anyone, so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to self-reflect, I'm going to do a 21-day detox, I did, um, I have the Bible app on my phone, so I did, you know, a 21-day lesson type of thing on there, and I really didn't miss it, and I really, honestly, haven't been on it as much, even to this day, since I did come back.
1: Right. Well, we talk about that all the time, you yeah. and I. Talk about how it's 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 not in our advantage. Social media is not to the human brain's advantage to no. always be looking at it and yeah. going on. It it skews. Well, the social dilemma shows you that it's that was ske, crazy. That was crazy. This it, it skews the way that we think.
0: And you know, we joke about it, and then literally, they came out with the social dilemma, and it proved everything that everybody everything.
1: And we've talked about it, it again. We talked about it with everything you and I, and it's not good for people in relationships, if they're stuck on that all day long. Correct. Because what the algorithms are doing, they're putting other things in front of your face that they think are going to stimulate you or catch your attention. Yep. And those things that might be catching your attention is seeing other girls out in, I don't know, pick it's a, a, pick a <laughs> tropical place in the world, <laughs> right? Right. Or or jet setting or at the club or whatever. And they, they do this to you intentionally. Yeah. And now you notice you don't even know what your friends post you're like I didn't even see that post mm-hmm. there's some times where I'll see somebody's post like 22 hours later yeah and I'll be like "I why, why didn't I see that 20 hours ago when they post you know it's it's, it's, it's strange
0: crazy.
1: it really is crazy it's unfortunate what else is unfortunate and I really appreciate you coming on because the, the main reason we wanted to talk about this is something that I've never talked about on this podcast and I'm grateful for you to come on and share your story um uh, Unfortunately, for you guys, several years ago, I think it's been over five years now.
0: That's correct. <clears throat> so uh,
1: take us back. Five years ago, your lives were forever changed uh, with, with your father.
0: Yeah. So actually, when we discussed talking about this, I went back. It has actually been seven years, I think, now, which is crazy. Um, so seven years ago, actually, it was a little bit before that, probably 10 years ago, my grandma passed away and my family has always been really close. Uh, My grandma and I lived right next to each other so her house was right next to mine. She had about 14 acres and we had the five right next to her and um, my grandpa passed away 12 years before my grandma did and my dad is the oldest of four kids. He has three sisters and my dad for the last 12 years that my grandma was around took care of her and her property and um my aunts also came to trim Christmas trees we had a small Christmas tree farm for a couple years and just to take care of the property you know and he did have a full-time job so where I grew up it was a township of about 3,000 people mm-hmm. so very small and your town. dad was
1: super active construction yeah uh,
0: very you know very small town do-it-yourself type of type of Handy, mentality right, right. get so, it done you correct. Know,
1: don't don't rely just go get it done <laughs> right, right
0: right um so every, but that's
1: every, how you learn yeah that's how you learn how to do things
0: yeah actually and my grandpa his father was an electrician so growing up my dad was always out in the garage and my dad helped build the lake that um they built on the property and uh so he learned how to run heavy equipment and things of that nature. Um, so we grew up outdoors we grew up doing everything he knew things from cars to this to that and when my grandma passed away um unfortunately in the trust it was there were two uh, of course i'm missing the words now uh what do you call them two there were two trustees the head of Mm -hmm. the head of the trust right so it was my dad and my aunt it wasn't just one person um and unfortunately it didn't end well there was a lot of stress um, my aunt, actually, the one that was the co-trustee with my dad, ended up taking care of my grandma the last couple years of her life. Um, I believe, I would almost want to say that she moved in at one point. Um, she was on disability for headaches, and she was the person that was able to take care of her. So when she passed away, I... Um, I'm probably going to ruffle a few feathers talking about this, but that's okay. Right, and you don't
1: need to go into certain details. I, uh, no, it's but okay. even
0: then, I mean, it's 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 something where, like I said, small-town family is important. Family is how you grow up. That's You take care of your family, like you're loyal to your family. Um, and ever since this has happened, um, the divide between my dad and my aunts, we don't speak to that side of the family really anymore. Um, so, it, you know, and I don't really talk about it. I was pretty vocal at the time. But um, I, I don't mind talking about it. And if I ruffle some feathers and so be it, it's the truth and it's fine. Um, so basically, um, my aunt was living in the house that my grandma uh, had had previously lived in. And my dad was still taking care of the property. My aunt was paying a small fee. Uh, it was just going back and forth. It turned into more family drama over money than I can explain and not even huge sums of money. I mean, again, we grew up in a town of 3,000 people. This is, you know, this isn't anything that you should break up a family over in my opinion. Um, and the stress that had caused my dad was unreal. I mean, he was being forced to there's some animosity between my mom and my aunts as well and there he was being forced to basically choose between his family and his sisters and money and he was just trying to make everyone happy uh he put a bid in that we ended up having to go to court he put a bid in for the property he just wanted to keep it in the family Mm -hmm. Um, because again we had the lake my parents got married there there was multiple graduation parties there holiday parties i mean you name it um And basically, my aunt's, some way, shape, or form, had found another buyer to pay almost double what the property was um, valued at. And that's what it ended up selling for. And when that happened in court, um, that was probably the last that my dad has seen or talked to his sisters. Okay. So from there, fast forward about another year and a half to two years... Um, my dad, we started to notice his speech was slurred. And we obviously knew the level of stress from the division of family, and just the awkwardness. You know, you go through all these traditions and stuff that you have for years, and then all of a sudden your world slipped upside down, right?
1: So let me just stop you real quick. Yeah. So are you, because I'm trying to see where you're tying this all in, so you believe when 10 years ago when your grandma was going through that, your dad mm-hmm. was going through that, the the, mm-hmm. the state, the, the the turmoil, all that, it started, the emotional impact started affecting him. That, yeah, you, you, all of this is
0: leading up to basically our D day of what, okay. when we found out that okay. he was sick. Um, so uh, his speech started to slur. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's just, I didn't want to think of it as a stroke. You know, that's one of the first things. Somebody has a stroke. They're, you know, one side of their body starts not uh, firing the same, or their speech is slurred, their face starts to droop down a little bit. I didn't know what it was. We kind of ignored it for a while. I think we didn't want to, you know, believe it. And we finally, my mom and I finally got him to go, you know, just get some scans, get testing and see what was going on. Um, And they did. And they said that they thought he had a small stroke. So we said, okay. Well, he was still fully functional. Um, You know, he did slur and talk a little bit slower, but overall, I mean, he was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we just thought maybe some therapy, or you know, this wasn't going to be an end of life thing,
1: right? So, um, you guys were told that it was a minor stroke, mm-hmm. and that there is ways to overcome it and come back to normal, right? Okay. Right, as
0: best you can. Uh, and then a couple years. Let
1: me ask you too, because yeah. this is just to unpack it all. When you were going through that time, did you see? Did you see the the stress? having an impact on him or was it just you were able to see an end result and then you're attributing the stress to it like what was going on in the house
0: i'll tell you what from the time that all the court dates finished leading up to them while they were going on even after them i even felt stress. and mm-hmm. at the time i was in my late 20s you know i'm i feel stressed because i feel like my cousins who I've grown up with.
1: But you were probably in your early 20s.
0: No, I was, well, yeah, I guess you right. I was 25, 26.
1: I mean, that would only be like, you know.
0: I'm almost 33, so that yeah. would be seven years. Yeah. Um, so I was in my mid-20s. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I, myself, my mom is feeling stressed. Uh, every holiday that we had in the summer, you know, think about it: Memorial Day, Fourth of July, uh, a birthday, we were always at the lake with our entire family. So when a holiday approaches and you don't talk to that side of the family anymore and you don't have this piece of property, you have to relive it all over again and you have to relive the fact that you know all of the pain, the oh money was more important now our family is divided and so you could feel you could feel the stress, you could feel the tension, you could feel the sadness mm-hmm. okay. consistently okay consistently.
1: All right. um, so then he has the the diagnosis,
0: he has he supposedly has a small stroke. It evolved to the point where he started um, he started walking with a limp almost. His his right side was kinda of dragging and I thought, Okay, this is getting worse. And now we fast forward to where we're at now and he has full blown ALS.
1: So when he started walking with the limp, mm-hmm. What's going on? What What are you guys doing when you see that? Are you talking to him and saying, "Why are you walking like this?" What? what?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Does he um, is he is he voicing concerns about what's going on with himself?
0: My dad is one of the strongest people I think I've ever met. Again, I don't know if this comes from the the small town, build your own, make your own, do your own everything. Um, he would. Ne- he was never sick. He was never in pain. If he was, he wasn't going to tell you about it. Um, he was always you know, the backbone of everything. So he never expressed even if he was uncomfortable or if he... You know, was feeling a certain way. We weren't going to know about it unless he was in an ambulance and couldn't talk to
1: us. So, so would you guys like look at each other when he walks away and be like, he's walking with the limp, like whispering to you, like what's going you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah
0: and it's, it's a hard I can't really, I don't know how to put this into words but someone that is such a rock in your family when you notice that something is going on with them you don't want to bring it up to them because you don't want them to know that you can see their weaknesses, you can see their vulnerability and it was a hard place to be like hey what's going on are you okay because then you're questioning his strength and he's literally the strongest person in our family who's helped everyone his sisters his mom his dad you know all of us um and was there for everyone not even just our family i mean anyone in the community that needed him he had friends he'd help with side projects so it was such an uncomfortable thing to say hey you know is something wrong um and I don't think he wanted to admit it either. Mm-hmm. You know, he's battling his own demons inside where he wants to be strong. He wants to fight through it. And I think a part of him kind of hoped that it would fix itself.
1: So walk us through to that. So you you guys are living with it for how, how long was it about between the diagnosis of the minor stroke mm-hmm. to the day where you guys say, all right, we got to go get this checked out again. Like, what How is that a couple of years? What's I, going on?
0: Honestly... It's kind of blurry to me because I, I still, I can't even believe it's been seven years. Uh, it was probably a year or two in okay. between there. And when we did go to Do you get, remember this day? No, I did not go. Okay. Um, My mom went. At the time, I, you know, I was working and my mom's also in the medical field. So I had full trust in her that she would ask the right questions. She would do her due diligence and make sure that everything was right. covered. Yep and i also know that you know more people more hands in the situation doctors you know sometimes less is more sure, you get sure, the whole sure. family yeah, you don't need to be there for the, yeah. for the
1: for that but did you know that he was going in that day for what what, what do they tell you let's we got to check you out for
0: yeah so any time it's neurological obviously a stroke or you know anything like that is neurological so anytime it's something like that you need to do a, a scan that takes time um, you have to read the scans, you know, things of that nature. So sometimes you don't get results. You don't usually get results back the same day. At least I don't remember us getting results back the same day. Again, mm-hmm. it's kind of blurry. Um, it all seems like one big giant year, but it's obviously not. Um, and I just remember being nervous. You know, I didn't I didn't know what the fate was going to be. You know, my dad is so active. You know, you know, when he would come home from work, he would mow our lawn. He wouldn't mow my grandma's lawn. He was always doing a project my dad didn't, if the sun was up, my dad was doing something. If it was dark, he had the lights on and doing something. So for, I I mean, I didn't know what, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, if, if this was something that was going to be, you know, bad, you know, quote unquote bad. I mean, what, what is going to happen, you know, and then how is it going to affect my mom? How's it going to affect the rest of us? Am I going to have to, you know, just uh, opens the floodgates to all the questions of how do you take care of someone? Where is this going?
1: We're on mayoclinic.org, and this is signs and symptoms of ALS very greatly for person to person, depending on which neurons are affected. Signs and symptoms might include, and here's a, a list of bullet points, difficulty walking or doing normal daily activities. Did you start seeing an impact on his day-to-day? I know that you saw the limp. Was he having trouble with activities?
0: Um. Again.
1: It's blurry. I know that.
0: Uh, no, I just... He wasn't one to talk about stuff like that. If he was having an issue, you know, say, brushing his teeth or drinking water. Motor motor skill stuff. You know, obviously we could hear this slur in his speech. But beyond that, again, he never complained about anything.
1: Tripping and falling, did you ever see that?
0: Yes. Um, So my dad worked in construction. I ran heavy equipment for many years. Um, Mostly asphalt, but... um, uh, he would plow in the wintertime and I was living in, uh, I was, I was living probably 10 minutes from them at the time. And he would come over and plow my driveway every snowstorm uh, before he would go home. I always told him, make me last. Don't, you know, you have paying customers. Uh, he would come over and then he would shovel my deck for me. Um, and I remember hearing, it was in the morning, I was getting ready for work. I knew he was plowing. I heard, him, I heard him plowing and I heard a dud, dud, dud. And I was like, oh my God, what was that? And of course, I know that things are slipping slowly with him. He was still safe to drive at the time. He still had reflexes and stuff like that. But I went outside and, and he was literally sitting on at the base of the patio. And I said, oh my God, what happened? And he's like, I just fell. So, that's when the falling started. Mm.
1: So, and we'll get to some more of these symptoms. We're jumping a little bit. but So, this is all happening, and then they go to the doctor. These things are happening to him mm-hmm. They go to the doctor, and talk about that day when they come back home, or when they get the diagnosis, what, what happens, and how do they find out?
0: So, I just remember my mom calling me and saying that he has... A form of Lou Gehrig's disease uh, which is a cousin of ALS and they're all relative and I had no idea what the heck that meant I was like what the heck is Lou Gehrig's disease mm-hmm. what is this I've never heard of this in my life you know people get dementia people get Alzheimer's people have cancer people you know uh, what is this I've never heard of it um, and I didn't know what to expect you know I, I, none of us did It was like, okay, well, what's next?
1: Right. And what do they tell you? What what do they tell you is next? What are the doctors saying?
0: (laughs) They don't really, I mean, they tell you, okay, you have three to five years to live. You're eventually going to lose all of your muscle functioning. And uh, we're going to do our best to track it, to help you monitor it. And if you want to participate in some studies... For research for ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, um, you can do that. And of course, there there is a there was some research done in the late '90s. There are a couple FDA-approved medicines for ALS, but it's all things that just kind of prolong it. Um, It's nothing that cures it. Um, And again, let's backtrack a little bit here. ALS is a a neurological disease so what it does is it affects the firing of your neurons to your muscles so you lose your speech first Uh, usually it's your speech and your swallowing that are first affected so you obviously those are muscles your throat is a muscle your tongue is a muscle and then it goes to walking and then it you know eventually deteriorates all the way down to your lungs Um, And then at that point, you would need, you know, a ventilator and then a feeding tube. And at that point, you know, it's kind of an end-of-life situation. So typically they say three to five years. Some people live for decades. Some people live for months. There's just a big question mark
1: there. And your dad's been living with it for over, it's been over five years since the diagnosis. It's been seven. It's been seven. Yeah. Wow. And they told him three to five, and he's here seven years later. Which
0: doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) because he's just
1: relentless and I see him you know he's he'll try to pick up things he still tries to move his hands he won't stop some people will give in and submit
0: yeah and I think um, you know when when we found out again we didn't know what was going on we we did they did buy a house um, where uh, they could live on one floor Uh, they knew that that was gonna have to happen just because with his prognosis we knew that he was eventually gonna end up in a wheelchair so one of the things was to live on some type of house that has a livable first floor. Uh, once he started falling more, we, um, we decided to get a ramp built mm-hmm. on the house. And um, thankfully, he had a group of friends that came over and actually built it for him. Uh, we bought the supplies, and they did everything. And if you contract out to have somebody try and build a ramp, it's it's expensive. Mm. Um, you know, that that Absolutely. stuff isn't cheap, and it's it's not like there's a fund that you can just... You know, the ALS Association does have, I think, around $500 that they'll give you a month for supplies and things of that nature. But,
1: but that's only going to go so far. Correct. correct. So, all right, so he's had it for seven years now. And uh, what, what's crazy for me, because the first time I met him, and I'm sure that this is common for people, mm-hmm. is he can't. He's become nonverbal, pretty much, yeah, close to nonverbal. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear him trying to make out some words. You'd obviously get it. I have no idea, right? Um, but for me, when I first met him, I had to keep reminding myself the first several times, like he knows what's going on, absolutely, one hundred. Percent is mentally and emotionally there. Yep. I mean, that's what makes it so peculiar because when you see him, somebody that's just meeting him, you would think that because he's not able to talk, he's in a wheelchair, or what do you call it? It's, not, it's like a motorized chair of some sort. Yeah. Right? Yep. And um, you almost have to remind yourself he's fully there.
0: Yeah, which is the crazy part. So... About, you know, and we we did so much testing in the beginning when we found out. We're like, what happened? How did this happen, right? So um, we, I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but when we found out that he had it, we thought, is this genetic? Right. Is this from stress? Is this from, yeah. is he taking something different? You know, what what is it?
1: Right.
0: And... We had the genetic test done. He had the spinal test that was negative. And at that point, we started ruling out all the factors. And about 90% of people that get ALS, there's no real reason for it. Um, it's just, it, it just happens. Um, a lot of the research that they've been doing in the last 10 years is trying to figure out what triggers it, and in my opinion, stress is a huge huge thing
1: going back to where we started right
0: um stress is a huge thing in life stress can make you gain weight lose weight have anxiety not have anxiety i mean it's just one of many things right well um i think that played a huge factor in it and also um as as you know anytime you have a heart attack or a stroke you get put on x y and z medications uh he was put on a medication for his stroke and one of the rarest symptoms of it, um, and you can hear it on the commercial time and time again, um, is ALS. And he wasn't that bad when he supposedly had this small stroke. And then after he started taking the medicines, things got worse. And I really, 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 really believe in my own opinion that this medication did cause him ALS. I think he could have been living perfectly fine with, you know, maybe some post-stroke symptoms.
1: So you believe it was truly a stroke at the beginning, not the early stages of ALS?
0: I do. I do. Because I, only because I think the stress caused him to have the Mm mini-stroke. And I think that the medication, and, and I could be wrong. It could have been ALS this whole time. Right. Um, but just, you know, when, when you see someone that you love suffering day in and day out, you're just constantly searching for, searching for the answers. Yeah, yeah, what could it be?
1: Causes ALS affects the nerve cells that control voluntary muscle movements such as walking and talking, motor neurons, as you said. ALS causes the motor neurons to gradually deteriorate and then die. Motor neurons extend from the brain to the spinal cord muscles, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, uh, Research- researchers continue to study possible causes. Most theories center on a complex interaction between genetic and environmental factors. Well, there's the environmental thing. Yeah. And who knows what kind of predisposition he had. That could have attributed to it. We don't know. Yeah.
0: And my mom and I have actually talked about this too. You know, he being that he worked in construction, those guys don't usually wear masks or anything to cover their face. Who knows what they're inhaling?
1: Yeah. You know? True. True. And then it says uh, heredity, 5 to 10% of the people with ALS inherited it. Um, you guys got checked, correct?
0: We didn't, oh, okay. but we did get him checked. Oh. And he did not have the gene for it.
1: So there's a gene that
0: they... Supposedly, but it sounds like from what I've heard in the research that I've done that it's a very small percentage. It's like 10% or less that it actually carries the gene for ALS.
1: And they're saying it's a gene, but it's probably just something that's some type of gene that it, more people that have ALS probably have this gene than don't, is what they're... I mean, I don't know.
0: So basically, if, if you have... I, I wish that was the answer, but if if you have the gene, when they do, when they do that spinal tap, they're basically seeing if they can see the mutation. Mm-hmm. And not all people that have ALS have that mutation, which means something else environmental is causing the ALS. So it's not always genetic, right? And it, the actual percentage that is genetic is so small.
1: So, what what going into the 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 depths of the the everyday? Uh, this started seven years ago, and it's a slow it's a slow and steady deterioration, right? It's not happening
0: overnight. Yeah, and you know some some progress really fast. I've seen that some people die within months, and some, I mean, what was that movie that we watched about Stephen Hawking? The, uh, Stephen
1: Hawking movie. Oh, he yeah. he made
0: it, what, 12 years?
1: No, he got it at 20. He lived at, like 70-something, Oh, right? gosh. Okay. Was it, so, it was like 50 years with it. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's crazy. Um, everyone is different. I really think it has to do with your mental capacity as well, how much you're willing to put up with, how much you're willing to deal with.
1: And that's a good movie, right? I mean, yes. what did you think of that movie? I it was what great. Called. It was a Stephen Hawking movie. I forget what it was called. Yeah. All you got to do is Google Stephen Hawking movie. Right. <laughs> But it was really good. It was, and and it, it, I think it was informative. For yeah, people that want to know.
0: It gave some insight into the day to day life. You know, I mean, eventually, you know, you go from tripping and falling and not being able to to say your words properly to not being able to eat the foods that you want to eat, or you know, not being able to drive yourself places that you want to go, not being able to, you know, even just walk around your house. You know, everything turns into a task.
1: Pa- paint the picture for people that don't truly get it. Where The state that your dad lives in at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, at this point, like you mentioned, I mean, he's pretty much nonverbal. Um, he is in a wheelchair 100% of the time. And about two years ago, we take him to get a test with his, um, his ALS doctor, his neurologist, every six months just to track his progress, right? And um, about two years ago, he lost his reflexes. So, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you go and they hit you on the knee with a hammer, right? And your knee, your leg kicks up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have his reflexes anymore. Uh, so at that point, you know, if you do fall, your arms aren't going to come up to catch you. You hit your face. Right. If you're, you know, things like that. If You know, there's no defense mechanisms at this point. Um, so he has a pretty, uh, I don't want to say his diet is limited, but he used to love potato chips. That's not happening anymore. <laughs> right. um, things just become choking hazards, unfortunately.
1: Uh, but so the foods he has to eat are soft?
0: Yeah, uh, for the most part. Although he finds a way to eat chocolate, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he has to have help um, bathing. He has to have help going to the bathroom. Uh, somehow this guy manages to stand up and sit in his wheelchair Every day, because he <laughs> is so. I I know it sounds terrible that I'm laughing, because overall this is a terrible a uh, thing to go through and to deal with day in and day out. But our family has kind of shifted the way that we look at it. Instead of living in a depressed state, where you know, don't get me wrong, we have our days, but instead of living in a depressed state where we're just constantly focused on the fact that the person that we love can't do any of the things that he loves or any of the things that he's once done or always wanted to do. Uh, we kind of, you know, make the best of it in the sense that we make jokes about things or we make or especially me. I mean, i I don't I obviously know that he feels like he's trapped in his body, mm-hmm. you know, and he can't talk to anyone or things of that nature. So, for for every day knowing that you know you can't do the things that you want to do, we j- we kind of joke about things. But um, you know, he he manages to get himself into his wheelchair for the most part. Um, he brushes his own teeth. He goes to the refrigerator and maneuvers to get his hand into the handle to open the refrigerator. And my mom has all of his food prepped on the bottom shelf so he can grab it. Some days it ends up on the floor, and the dogs get to eat it. Some days um, he gets it. Uh, but it is definitely, I mean, just the smallest things, you know, um, typing, texting, things of that nature. The mobility in his hands is pretty limited, so he texts with his pinky. Um, you know, it's its more and things. Barely, and he could
1: barely ever leave the house.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: he's limited to...
0: Yeah, so I I primarily, I guess, transport him places um, because I have a small SUV, so it's just easier. It's at hip level for him to get in and out of the car. Mm-hmm. So if we go somewhere, um, I just kind of maneuver the wheelchair to the car, the frame of the car, and just kind of use my angles and leverage him to get him into the car. And one of the things with ALS too is that your your muscles end up getting stiff um, so he has he has some muscle relaxers and things of that nature to calm down um, the jump sometimes his legs will jump or I mean they will literally turn into concrete where you cannot move them it's unreal the the fact that muscles can tighten up that much um, what
1: has this done for his mental his mental sanity how does he handle this <sighs>
0: That's a tough one. Um, There's probably more bad days than good that he tells us about. Um, We get some grueling text messages sometimes about how, you know, he just wishes he wasn't here um, or how he's worthless or, you know, things where he feels like he can't do anything he's a burden to everybody. Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody, you know, and I think that um, I that's one of the hard parts is because people do look at him, like you said, and they don't realize that cognitively he's all there. Um, and you just have to change the way that you do talk to him. But it's definitely affected him. I mean, Think about it. If you literally cannot talk about how you're feeling, about what is going on in your body, and you people thought that 2020 was bad when they were stuck in quarantine and Mm. couldn't do the things that they wanted to do, imagine, you know, barely being able to lift your arm over your head and you just have to sit there all day and think about all the things that you can't do Mm. and all the things that you want to do. Or if there's something that falls on the floor, like a pill or the remote, you can't bend over and pick it up. Mm, I
1: can't. It's so scary.
0: So I mean, it's it's all of the little things that you know people take for granted. The fact that you can sneeze without you know losing <laughs> losing half of your like I say half of your face. But I mean, when he, when he sneezes, I mean it's everywhere because he can't control you know what's happening. He can't. He can barely you know wipe his nose if he sneezes.
1: How has this affected you?
0: Um, that's a tough one too. I mean i I have my good days and my bad days too, uh, but overall, it's not about me. And I that's kind of where my flips, sw- my switch flips. You know, I have to, um, I have to show up, and I have to be a, a strength. I have to be an outlet. I have to be someone that they can count on. And I feel like, I mean, at the time, a couple years ago, it was probably two and a half years ago, I had to resign from my position. I I had a national sales position, and I was traveling quite a bit. And it felt like every time I was out of town, something was happening. He was falling, or something was going wrong at the house, and I wasn't there. And um, I... I just was like, I can't do this. I I have to find something that's more local. I have to be accessible to them. Like my dad was always accessible for my grandma. I watched it. I watched him eat, sleep, and breathe loyalty. And I knew that it was my job. I'm the oldest that, at least in my mind, it was my job, that I needed to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And so I resigned and I took a position around here that uh, allowed me to basically work from home unless I had to be in the OR meeting with doctors. And uh, that made a world of difference because at the time when he was falling and, you know, we didn't know what to do. This was a stress that our family had, no one in our family had ever encountered before. You know, sure, people get sick when they're old and you call hospice and they handle it the last 10 days or so, you know. But at at this point, I just I I couldn't be gone. I I just knew that if I was gone and things like this were happening, I was going to end up regretting it. I was going to regret the fact that I wasn't there for my family when they needed me.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so it's so crazy. It's yeah, so powerful that what you've had to you know.
0: And at the time, I'm I mean, unfortunately, our our neurologist didn't. I don't feel like she guided us enough. Uh, You know, when when I resigned from my position, the first thing I did was start Googling home care and how in the world can I get my parents' help. And this stuff is not, this is not cheap. It's expensive. Having a nurse come in, having uh, aides come in, you know, all of these things, it's expensive. And even before we got to in-home care, I mean, I was dropping him off at therapy, Thirty minutes. I mean, my mom works from six thirty to three every day. She works in a hospital. She works first shift. She doesn't have the flexibility. Right. So I would load my dad in my car, and I would take him to his therapy twice a week, and he would have physical therapy and speech therapy, and then I would bring him home. And I was the person that had the flexible schedule, so that's what I did. Do you
1: do you think about? There's so much here. Do you think about? Um, Gosh, I wonder if there'll ever be a cure, maybe something that could save him before end of life. I mean, are these things that you deal with on a regular basis?
0: Um, I don't really think about if there's something that could cure him just because I know that the, at least to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, the amount of research that's been done on ALS isn't like cancer or, you know, anything like that. So I know that it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And that was something that I just kind of processed when I knew that he got sick. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know that, and I know from my mom being in the medical field that a neurological disorder is not something that you can explain. If you have a pinched nerve, I mean, sure, they might have a couple ideas on how to fix that, rest, uh, you know, things of that nature. But there's no no clear-cut answer. The brain and the body is a crazy invention (laughs) and it's i I just know that it's not going to happen in my lifetime i you know i I know we've talked about this the als challenge the ice bucket challenge you know i i had no idea that what the als ice bucket challenge was at the time i just thought it was a bunch of people you know throwing I, i knew they were donating money i'm not naive to that fact but yeah i had no idea what it was what the disease was about
1: And it was right before your dad got the diagnosis? Literally
0: right before. Wow. Which is so ironic. So ironic. It's crazy.
1: For somebody that's uh, another family that's going through the early stages, because there's a lot. It happens probably every single day. Yeah. There's people that are like, oh, gosh, what's going on with a loved one of mine? Um, Looking back after what you've had to go through, is there advice is there things that looking back you could do maybe that that, that could, could mitigate some of the not not the disease of course but just the everyday lifestyle what's your best advice for some of these people
0: um i would say talk about it i mean i think that was kind of the elephant in our room for quite some time because my family's just so prideful and nobody asks for help and everybody is so stubborn and headstrong <laughs> really <made it> <laughs> <laughs> everyone's so stubborn and headstrong and um you know and, and nobody wants to admit when they're weak um and so i think that just being there for that person and whoever their caretaker is that is a heavy heavy role you're dealing with someone that I don't want to say it's like a grown baby because that sounds demeaning, but that's almost what it is. You know, you have someone that's full size, <laughs> and you have to, you you know, you go through that stage in life you don't think you're ever going to go back to, but you you have to care for them. And the biggest thing is to have, have wins, whatever those wins are, small things, you know. Um,
1: like an example, what's a small win? Yeah,
0: so I know... Um, you know, like last year, um, I took my dad to see, like, the Christmas lights. The Browns game. Yeah. I also took it. You know, we took him to the Browns game last year. Um, you know, just small things here and there are so important to them because, well, not even to them, to, to the family around them. I mean, you do, you just, there's so many question marks and you just don't know when the end is or how quickly that's going to be. So the thing is to just do things to make all of you happy, but essentially them too. Yeah, you know, get a smile on their face, laugh, have a good time. Remember that, like, life is precious, life is short, and to just enjoy it, live in the moment. You know.
1: Well, this is the type of stuff that puts all the petty shit into perspective, right? A
0: hundred percent. I'd
1: assume it's changed you in that regard, where you you do you appreciate life. You look, you don't sweat the small stuff
0: no and it's funny because um my grandma always used to say to us don't sweat the small stuff don't sweat the small stuff and it's so true it it's so true and the older that I get I I really am choosing to live that way and um I, I constantly remind my mom that too you know my mom is my dad's primary caretaker and um you know if something happens or if he falls or if he drops something or if uh, you know he needs to eat, or this or that. She's the one that's doing all of that. Uh, granted, we do have aides, you know, that come in and bathe him, and a nurse that checks his vitals, and a social worker that comes too, which is great. He loves her; she's awesome. Sometimes it's nice just to have um, an outside person, but you know, just even I tell my mom all the time, you know, this is this is temporary, you know, um, and I don't mean that to be vain, or you know, it's just. When something like this happens, you just uh, everything in life—it's—it's it's real, you know. Yeah. So it doesn't scare me to talk about it. Um, it doesn't make it easy to talk about, but it's—it's it's a reality. So it's just you know, again, a bunch of small wins really do add up in any way, shape, or form, whatever that is.
1: Yeah, it's—it's—it's. It's, uh, it's, uh, I give you guys so much credit. I really give you a ton of credit. I can't imagine what you've had to go through. You don't talk about it a ton because you just like like you said you just show up and yeah. you live it and you do it. Yeah. And you go about your business as best as you can. You don't complain about it. Uh, I think a lot of people this would crumble people. So I think that there's for the family around the one that's dealing the one that has the disease for the loved ones around them, they have to be a t- strong unit.
0: Yeah, and I think that um I I think it affects, it affects some of my family differently too. You know, uh, not everyone is meant to be able to handle stuff like this. Everyone has their different strengths in life or as an individual. Right. So I think that even some people in my family don't know how to talk to him, how to say, or, or even just, what do you talk about? You know, they, they, they come to us and they say, Oh, how's it going? And they don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, but it's kind of like, you have to talk about the elephant in the room. Right. You know, so, um... The elephant's smacking you right in the
1: face. Right? <laughs> like, somebody just bring it up already, right? Yeah, it's, like... it's,
0: it's crazy, <laughs> and the biggest part is, you know, I, I, I wish that, um, I, I wish we had more family to help, um you know, the family that we do have that listens to my mom's phone calls at late at night when she's stressed out or has had a bad day at work and then, you know, this or that and, and or people for my dad to confide in. You know, sometimes you just got to be an ear. Um, mm-hmm. And yep. people in those situations really do need that. And so sometimes when my mom calls at 8 30 at night, I might not want to answer because I know it's going to be negative. But I just try and listen and then, again, find some reminder of something positive that's coming up or you know because unfortunately i mean everybody wants to live the perfect life everybody wants to have their parents till they're 80 something 90 something and it's just not a reality in all cases and if it's not als it could be something else or some parent gets paralyzed or they don't end up remembering you by the time they're 85.
1: well listen looking back and looking forward one thing I can say about you is you won't you won't be able to say, I wish I could have done this more, yeah. or I wish I should have done this. You know, we always do that to ourselves. Right. We beat, beat ourselves up. I should have spent more time with this person yeah. when yeah. they're no longer. I feel that you have really, really given yourself a ton, a ton of yourself. So more than you could ever look back and say, I didn't spend enough time. I wasn't present. I wasn't there. You can never beat yourself up for
0: that. And that was the biggest thing for me. I didn't want to, even to this day. I don't. I don't ever want to miss something. I don't. I don't. You know. I just my my parents and my dad sacrificed so much for me growing up. It's the least that I can do to put a smile on his face and help take care of them.
1: Thank you so much for coming on to share this really, <laughs> really raw uh, story. Uh, I admire you for your strength. And I really appreciate your vulnerability.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it can help someone else going through the emotions, you just got to go through it and find the positive.
1: You heard it here, everybody. (laughs) Thanks, Lins. Of
0: course.